0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for
1: Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Another week where we're trying to figure out when and if there is going to be baseball a very unique week this week in the sense that uh, there were more coronavirus cases that hit baseball and with that, spring training facilities were pretty much shut down and if there is going to be baseball this summer, spring training 2.0 is going to have to happen at the team facilities in all the respective cities across Major League Baseball with the spring training facilities being shut down. The only exception might be the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, That's going to be somewhat dictated on Uh, what the Canadian government allows in terms of people coming in and going out and that sort of thing. But it's uh, it's a complicated situation right now, and we'll get into that a bit uh, on today's podcast. Kyle Loebner is going to uh, join us. Uh, Kyle's been on the podcast a number of times. Of course, he's very connected to the Timber Rattlers also, uh, covers baseball, talks about baseball, writes about baseball for uh, the Shepherd Express and the Milwaukee record. And he's got a new thing going with uh, pa- his uh, his Patreons doing something really cool uh, this summer. and We're going to get into that with Kyle in just a few moments. I'm going to tell you now, and this is just kind of, we've done this a few times over the last few weeks. Uh, I had the conversation with Kyle. We recorded it uh, Sunday afternoon, and not long after we were done recording, some more news did come out about the negotiations going on between players and owners kind of a darned if you do, darned if you don't situation when you're doing podcast and you're trying to talk about things that are current you know, real time news that it's just not it's not what we do on a podcast, right? When generally the the historically and what we've done on this podcast is we've tried to address kind of the, the bigger issues but right now, the, the the one issue that exists in baseball is the labor negotiation. So we've talked about it. So uh, a conversation with Kyle is kind of through the prism of the information that was true around 1 o'clock, one thirty on Sunday afternoon. Uh, before we get into kind of where we're at as I'm recording this part now about almost 8 o'clock on Sunday evening, uh, if you do want to get in contact with me, you could do so. Find me on Twitter at Matt Paulie on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U ley on air if you listen to the podcast on apple podcast i want to leave a ranking review and also subscribe to the podcast that would be fantastic so here is where we're at as of it is 7 50 p.m 7 p.m as i am recording this at the moment and who knows what what the scenario and what the situation is going to be uh come whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast but there are Again, there seems to be some momentum towards a deal. Now, we've said that before, right? Every time there seems to be momentum towards a deal, that momentum dies very quickly. Here's why this feels a little bit different. Uh, This past week, the coronavirus hit baseball hard, and now the idea of even getting 70 games in seems incredibly unlikely. Just probably not going to happen. And some people feel like the owners are kind of using – the current situation as a way to make sure that they don't play more than 60 other people don't feel that way really for for the matter of this conversation it really doesn't matter what does matter is uh considering the fact that spring training facilities were closed down and there's a number of players who are going to have to be quarantined now for a while it's at the point in the calendar where really 70 games uh doesn't look possible. It, it just doesn't seem like something that in all likelihood is going to end up happening. In fact, uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today had a column that uh, got posted Sunday evening and said there were f- about 40 coronavirus positive tests among players and staff members last week uh, across Major League Baseball. That's that's notable. That's I I don't know if that's a lot, but it's it's enough to take note of. It's not just a, a random case here and a random case there. That's a. That's that's a big enough number that you need to really take a look at it. And now it does bring into question: Can they even play a season? Is the from a health and safety standpoint, can they even get a season in? You know, you look at what happened in Philadelphia, where a handful of players tested positive for the coronavirus. How many players were actually at that spring training facility? That's not something that's clear, and it's not something that's been reported. But you can't think it was that many. And now we're talking about them trying to do spring training 2.0. Where were you? You're going to have like 50 guys together. Um, It's... If you have another big outbreak like that, it's it might just be tough to start a season. So figuring out a way to get the framework of a season done is probably more important now on both sides than it was even this time last week. So what happened was there seems to be a, a little bit of a common ground between the players and the owners, which there is very little of that. In fact, uh, the the players were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on if they were going to vote on the 60-game proposal that Major League Baseball had issued to them. The players had gone back with a 70-game proposal that the owners had already rejected, so the players were going to talk about the 60-game proposal. In the 60-game proposal, there would be the expanded playoff. Uh, there would be an agreement not to file a grievance. The grievance seems to be uh, a big deal in all of this, and the players... First, we're going to vote on it, then we're not going to vote on it, then we're going to vote on it, and then we're not going to vote on it. And Tony Tony Clark evidently received uh, a message from Rob Manfred that, they agreed that they could take out some of the things like the expanded playoff. The expanded playoff was set to be for both 2020 and 2021. Well, baseball evidently has agreed to not automatically put it in for 2021 uh, depending on the circumstances and how much baseball is played this year and things like that because there's this feeling from, from the baseball players that they're giving away too much. That they're allowing the owners to get all this extra playoff revenue. That they're allowing the owners to skate without facing a grievance. What are you actually getting for those things? And from a Major League Baseball standpoint, they at least tried to show a little bit of something in terms of what they would take back uh, where the players would not be giving up quite as much. Now, is that enough to get a deal done? The skeptical side of me says no, probably not. But I can also say at least there seems to be some movement towards a common ground. Now, there's still $300 million separating the two sides when you talk about a 60-game proposal versus a 70-game proposal, but at some point in time, you're you're not going to get 70 games in. So if it becomes either a 60-game schedule or a 50-game schedule, and at 50 games you don't give anything to the owners, at 60 games you give them the expanded playoff and all that other stuff, players have to be thinking, okay, what makes the most sense? And... Again, I, I don't know what the players, if they're going to go for it or not. I don't feel like as it sits right now, just with those uh, those small concessions from the owners, that that would be enough to get a deal done, but maybe it will. So I've got a little bit more optimism as it sits right now that baseball is going to be played at some point this summer. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. I've got more optimism that the framework of a deal or a deal to play baseball is going to get potentially worked out. I still don't... I don't know how to evaluate and how to judge what's going on with the coronavirus. There's no set standard protocols across uh, Major League Baseball facilities. So that's part of the problem. And once players start going into the facilities where they're going to hold spring training, you can bet that there's going to be a ton of protocols in place. And if you remember, Major League Baseball had sent to the uh, players this this very long document uh going through all the different protocols that they want in place uh to be able to be safe uh with the coronavirus and players were good with some things. They weren't good with other things. They didn't want players to be taking showers at the ballpark after games, go home and take a shower. Uh, They wanted players to go straight Little League style and show up to the ballpark wearing their uniform. Things like that uh, did not sit real well with the players. How does that sit now with the players? Now that uh, the coronavirus has impacted baseball in a fairly big way. Does that change the way players view those things? Those are all things that have to get worked through. So I, I say all that to say this. it does seem like for the first time players and owners are kind of uh, I don't know if they're on the same page, but at least they they're in the same chapter they're they're they they realize that. While they have a lot of differences, they do have some similarities, especially in that they are battling uh, trying to play baseball while we're in the middle of a pandemic, and those things seem to be bringing the sides together. We'll see what we're saying next Sunday, right? Like every Sunday. It's not just every Sunday. Every day, seemingly, it is a new story. All right, so on the podcast this week, we are going to be joined by Kyle Loebner. Again, we recorded this interview uh, about 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon. So when we recorded this interview, the concessions from Major League Baseball uh, had not yet been offered to the players. So just remember that this interview is taking place uh, at a time where concessions had not yet been offered, where it seems like there's, there's more More of a chance that players are going to accept a deal now, or at least they're maybe closer to being on a path to accepting a deal as a result of those concessions. So just know that hadn't happened yet by the time we had this conversation. And with that, we do welcome on Kyle Loebner to the podcast. Kyle, always appreciate you taking some time. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm all right. Now, I'm going to start this interview by saying we are talking at 1.03 p.m. on Sunday, and Major League Baseball players are supposedly going to vote on the Major League Baseball 60-game plan today. We, I am assuming that they are going to reject that plan, and that's kind of based. going to be how our conversation is based. But I guess there's always a chance that this conversation will not be quite as uh, relevant by the time people are listening if things go in the other direction. But all that being said, can you describe kind of your frustration level, especially over the last uh, week and a half or so as the negotiations have continued on?
0: Uh, my frustration levels are pretty high, uh, and I think – uh, folks who have been reading my stuff at the Shepherd Express the last couple of weeks, uh that won't be news to them that my frustration level is getting pretty high with baseball right now. Um, even as somebody who generally tries to to take the high road on stuff like this, tries to stay out of conflict, um, you know, tries to uh, show people a fun fact instead of giving them a peek behind the curtain. Uh these last couple of weeks uh, it's been hard for even me. Uh to to stay out of this. I, I wrote a piece last week Uh, discussing how basically this is down to the owner's decision, whether they want to save the game um, or whether they want to save a few dollars. Um, And it it has gotten just so ugly. Um, And, you know, the, the owners have taken advantage of the fact that when there's a conflict, people blame both sides. Um, But realistically, it's really hard to argue that um, the strife that we've seen over the possible resumption of a 2020 season is anybody's fault but the owners.
1: It's been something that's really come into light as more and more offers have been made is basically the owners are willing to pay... X amount of dollars, and it doesn't matter if there's 50 games, 60 games, 70 games, 80 games, they're willing to pay X amount of dollars, and they really haven't moved too far off of that number. Some people want to focus in on the different proposals and, and feel like there is change, but in in a financial way, there really hasn't been that much change from the owners, has there been?
0: No, and the magic number has been about 33%. Uh, the owners have been willing to pay about 33% of the players, quote-unquote, guaranteed salaries for this season um, in all the proposals. And so whether it was 50 games at full pro-rated pay or, you know, 70 games at a percentage of pay or 80 games at a lower percentage of pay or a sliding scale, it all comes back to about the same number. Uh, Now, this most recent proposal came up a little, uh, but not a lot. Um, And I I think the players have every right to feel like, um, A, they signed an agreement with the owners back in March, that still has um, some elements of it that are binding, certainly, um, not the least of which is their expectation they should get prorated pay and their expectation that the owners should agree to start the season as soon as it's feasible and play as many games as it's feasible. Uh, but additionally, uh, the, even if baseball is not making as much money as they would have expected this season, and I don't think there's anyone out there who believes that the owners are making money hand over fist this year, Um, The players have a very real argument to make that baseball has grown exponentially year over year, at least in terms of profit margin, for a long time. Um, That in 2019, the owners made about $10.7 billion in revenue. That was 4% more than they made the year before, which was a record. They've set a record every year since 2010, and 4% was the smallest year-over-year increase they've had in a decade. Um, meanwhile, salaries have not gone up that much um and so the owners have made money hand over fist for quite some time um at the very least you know in terms of the overall numbers, if not even in terms of day to day revenues um while franchise values have also skyrocketed, the players really haven't participated in that, and if the owners weren't willing to let the players participate in that new revenue, then I don't know why they should expect the players to participate in their new loss.
1: Part of what owners really want is the expanded postseason, and they also want to make sure that players don't file a grievance. Now, the second thing doesn't seem to be quite as important here recently. Maybe that's because they feel like they've proven good faith negotiating in what's happened over the last few days, but the first thing in terms of the expanded playoff, and that's that's what, that's what kind of what the players control right now because if the players don't take the 60-game plan as we don't really expect them to go with, then they're not giving the owners the 60-game plan, or excuse excuse me the uh, the expanded playoffs at that point and that impacts revenue um, it, it's just um, each side holds different cards and it's it, it's just kind of frustrating to watch this whole thing play out where yeah, maybe the players will go for this number, but they need prorated play, but they're not willing to not uh, file a grievance. we owners. They're not going to do anything unless they feel like they're not going to have the grievance filed against them. And every day it's something different. I almost felt like the meeting with uh, Rob Manfred to go talk to Tony Clark was more about proving good faith, negotiating, and trying to put themselves in best position to win a grievance than to actually play a season this year.
0: Yeah, I think it says a lot about how ugly these negotiations have gotten, that the simple news that Rob Manfred and Tony Clark had sat down face-to-face early last week, Trump did as fantastic news, oh, finally they're talking. Well, I mean, yeah, they're talking. That should be the basic expectation. Um, And the fact that things had gotten so bad that that was a surprise um, really just kind of highlights where we're at right now. Um, and yeah, it, it's gotten ugly. Um, unfortunately, it has gotten ugly. Kind of at the eleventh hour, uh, there was a lot of posturing that came to this point um, when there probably could have been negotiations about, you know, a, a possible solution instead. Um, and now there's, you know, some progress towards an agreement at a point where um, national public health may mm-hmm. very well be the factor that prevents a season anyway. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it is certainly frustrating. Um, And it's frustrating at a time when there's not much else going on. And so it is the top national story just about every day um, that they're not making progress. And so, yeah, you would think that at some point both sides would look at this and would say, you know what, we're doing more damage to the game by bickering um, or by delaying action than anybody would suffer if they actually just played a season.
1: The March agreement basically said that if they cannot play a season due to health issues, players would still receive their service time for the year, right. and they would not have to return the money that was given at the beginning of this, of what would have been the season. If you're the player – and I know the players have done the when and where – but the the health situation as we talk right now doesn't look great. After the Phillies and the Astros and the Blue Jays have had players test positive and a front office people from uh, from the Yankees, if your players, is it, there has to be a group of players, especially ones who have a number of years left on their contract, they're already making big money, and maybe they would have only gotten paid thirty to thirty five percent of their salary this year. That that group of players, there has to be some of them that are saying they're going. It's not worth it to play this year, right?
0: Uh, You know, at the moment, we're not seeing that. I mean, and deep down in their heart of hearts, yeah, there probably are some guys whose individual best interest um, is there not being a season this year or sitting out. Uh, But I think, you know, to date, the players have been pretty good about presenting a united front and recognizing that, you know, for Garrett Cole, this season is not a tremendously big deal. Um, If Garrett Cole gives his arm a rest for a year and comes back and still makes $200 million over the next decade, Garrett Cole is probably going to be all right. But for every Garrett Cole that's out there, there are about 50 players where this year would have been their first year in the big leagues. You know, they have played five years of minor league baseball or seven years of minor league baseball and made, you know, maybe $100,000 over that time, if that's. Um, you know, their, their signing bonus is long gone. They've been living paycheck to paycheck for years. Their MLB career may project to be two or three seasons, and now one of them is not happening. Um, and so, you know, I, I think the guys at the top of the ladder, the guys who are making the most money, um, still have some level of recognition, or at least many of them seem to, that the people they're fighting for aren't necessarily um, themselves. That It's the the folks for whom... You know, are going to have a pretty short window to make Major League money and then are going to have the rest of their life to live on it. Um, and so it's increasingly important that those folks get a fair shake out of this.
1: It seems like to me that there's four main parts of these negotiations in terms of the people involved. On the player side, you have Tony Clark and you have Bruce Meyer, and then on the other side you have Rob Manford and you have Dan Halem. And it just seems like of these four individuals, none of them – Really want to take a step forward. It, it, and Michael Weiner was somebody who he represented the players well. He got great deals done, but there was always this feeling that he could work out a deal. And there doesn't seem to be that feeling with any of these four individuals. And whether we want to put blame on owners or put blame on players, everybody's posturing probably for the next collective bargaining agreement that's going to be negotiated here in a year and a half. But do you agree that. It feels like none of those four individuals really are interested in making a big move in these negotiations.
0: You know, I think you and I have a very different recollection of how negotiations went under Michael Weiner when he was heading the Players Association, because uh, I think deals got done quickly um, in his when under his tenure, um, but they got done quickly because the players really did not go, come out well in those agreements. Um, those were agreements where. You know, owners got major concessions, and uh, the players got the much-talked-about uh, clubhouse chef. You know, they they really didn't get much in return. Um, they didn't fix things like service time manipulation. You know, they didn't fix things like a free agent model that increasingly is leaving players without contracts at the time when they were supposed to be making the most money they make in their careers. Um, and so, I think, at least in part, uh, a big chunk of the problem we have right now is because players feel like uh, they did not get a fair deal uh, in their own negotiations for quite a long time. Uh, and so, Tony Clark, at least in part, is a response to that. He is an effort for them to, uh, you know, dig their heels in a little more and make sure they're getting their share. Um, and at the same time, you've got owners who are very used to these negotiations going quite differently. So I think, you know, that the players are digging in their heels. Um, I'm sure they're going to take their share of heat for that publicly. But in reality, what you're seeing is a reaction to the fact that as revenues have gone up dramatically in the game um, over the last decade and over the last two decades, almost all of that money has stayed on the team side. Um, And the the owners can come out and make the case that baseball is not very profitable um, until the cows come home. And they have really tried to. Uh, but the raw numbers paint a very different picture. The raw numbers show about $11 billion in revenue last year, um, and a relatively small percentage of that that made its way to the people that fans are paying to see.
1: You know, that's really interesting what you just said, uh, because the I don't think I'm alone in this. The general consensus has been the last collective bargaining agreement uh, that was signed, was was very, very, very owner-friendly, and the players absolutely lost that one. But that was the first one since the passing of Michael Weiner and all of the collective bargaining agreements before that lot There's a lot of people who really feel like the players won those uh, and it was just the most recent one where the players really lost and it to me it sounds like you're you kind of believe that it's been more of a trend and it's not just the last collective bargaining agreement that it's going beyond that where the players have kind of come out on the losing side
0: uh the last one was the worst one, but I think you know when when you look back um, some of the the problems with these collective bargaining agreements have gotten a little more egregious. Uh, things like service time manipulation, you know, the the free agency issues, they have become worse. Uh, But these problems were in place for a long time. Uh, And, you know, some of it was the fact that these collective bargaining agreements were better for longer-tenured players than they were for younger players, for the the zero-to-three guys who were just getting the league minimum year-over-year, and certainly for the minor leaguers. Uh, But... The problems that we're seeing are not, I mean, with the exception of the pandemic, of course, the problems we are seeing are not terribly new. Um, there has been a compensation issue in the game for several years, and it, st- it stretches back more than one collective bargaining agreement. It's just an issue where in the last collective bargaining agreement they really failed to address.
1: Continuing to be joined by uh, Kyle Loebner on Brewers x the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Uh, you've you've written, You've written recently some stuff about what to expect if it is a shortened season, and if anything, what to expect would be the unexpected because in such a short season, you really could have any level of outcome.
0: Yeah, you can really build an argument that almost anything could happen in 50 games. Uh, or 60 games, or whatever the number happened to be. Um, and I made that case for Shepherd Express a couple of years ago. I, I rattled off some cases where the Brewers have had 50-game stretches that were completely out of character uh, with the, the rest of the season as a whole. I mean, even the, the 1969 Seattle Pilots, uh, and the, the story of that team has kind of become the, the haplessness um, and the floundering of that team. They had a 50-game stretch where they were a 500 team. Um, and with expanded playoffs, that might be enough to get a team in. Uh, So, yeah, if we play an abbreviated season, uh, there's going to be some really wild outcomes. There might be a a team that uh, nobody expected to be that good that's able to win 32 or 33 games and make a postseason run. Uh, There might be a division that's terrible. Uh, There might be a division where the the winning team is something like 25 and 35. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be very wide open, um, even without expanded playoffs. I think that's going to be exciting for a lot of fans if they're able to play it. Uh, But, you know, when you look at the predictability of a game, sometimes crazy things happen over a 162-game season, even with that enormous sample size. And when you cut that sample size down to about a third, um, you could get some really interesting runs in there.
1: If somebody said... uh... A ba- an average record, or hit above 400, or did something incredibly spectacular when it came to ERA, and they played 50 to 60 games. How would you view uh, view those type of quote unquote records?
0: Well, I think you know you can look back at 1994, for example. Um, you know, Matt Williams was making a run at the home run title that year, or the, the home run record that year. Tony Gwynn was on pace to to approach 400 that season. Uh, those are things we still talk about twenty six years later. You know, those, those are still things that I was able to rattle off off the top of my head. And so, if you see somebody who comes out and you know just kind of blows the doors off the league in a sixty game season, I think we will, you know, for years wonder what could have been. Now, I think the odds of somebody hitting four hundred even for sixty games are really low. Uh, the last player to hit 400 in even 150 plate appearances uh, was a guy named Bob Hazel with the Milwaukee Braves back in 1957. Uh, so the odds of somebody hitting 400 even in a short season aren't very good. Uh, but with that said, yeah, there there may be some interesting marks that that get an asterisk next to them um, on the all-time list, especially the race test.
1: Before we let you go, uh, we had Chris Marion on the podcast a few weeks ago, but uh, it just does not look like there's going to be minor league baseball this year. It would be a shocking development if there was any form of a uh, of, of affiliated minor league baseball this year. How are from what you've heard, how are the Timber Rattlers doing with with that reality?
0: You know, I I haven't been in touch with the team, you know, kind of every day through the stretch like I would have been if there was a season or even like I sometimes am during the off season, but You know, they're doing some really remarkable stuff, trying to find ways to uh, maintain fan interest, get people out to the ballpark, Um, you know, and just kind of make people aware of their continued existence through the the hiatus here. Um, I know they're doing movie nights at the ballpark. They've got a couple of those coming up. Uh, They've been doing takeout fish fries on Friday at the ballpark. Uh, They have Uttertuggers merchandise in stock again. Uh, Fans can go online and check that out. That was a, a huge seller last year. And I give them a lot of credit because there are uh, minor league organizations around the sports that have, you know, either completely closed their doors or furloughed their staff or, you know, really kind of just rolled up the sidewalks during the pandemic. The Timber Rattlers organization is doing a, a really great job of finding ways to avoid doing that. Mm-hmm. And so for fans out there that have an opportunity to go out and support them in some way, I would encourage them to do so. Um, we're all kind of on hold right now. Um, and that's been tough for a lot of folks. Um, it's been a, a real challenge for me as somebody who's at the ballpark every day. Uh, but it, it's an even bigger challenge for the folks who have this as their primary source of income. And at the end of the day, you know, as we talk about all the frustrations going on with baseball right now, there's a lot of people whose day to day income is kind of hanging in the balance while the owners and the players play fast and loose with this. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of those folks a lot. Um, we are fortunate here in Appleton. Things are, you know, reasonably good, um, as good as they can be given the circumstances, but certainly it's a, an organization that could use the fans' support.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kyle, great stuff as always. Encourage people to uh, read you. Your weekly uh, piece in the Shepherd Express is always something uh, that I enjoy being able to see. Encourage uh, people to uh, head to Twitter, follow you at bykyleloebner.com. K-Y-L-E-L-O-B-N-E-R. Kyle, thanks so much for the time, and we'll do this again real soon. Hey,
0: thank you. If I could plug one more thing before I go. Um, If you head to Twitter and follow me at @bykylelobner, you can also check out my Patreon, where I produce uh, Brewer's History every day, um, all through this hiatus here. Um, We've been looking back today, for example, on Sunday. It was the anniversary of Hank Aaron's only three-home run game of his career, and also Bob Uecker's only Grand Slam. Uh, so I've been having a lot of fun every day, you know, kind of keeping my pencil sharp, uh, going back and writing about Brewer history, finding kind of the, the big stuff and the small stuff that fans might have missed over time, um, and sharing it on Patreon. So
1: what, uh, what motivated you to, uh, to do that, just to have something during this period?
0: Yeah, you know, as the season approached uh, this March and it became clear that it was going to be at least a delayed start and we were going to be waiting a little while, uh, I was hearing from folks a lot on Twitter or seeing frustration that baseball content had kind of diminished a little bit. Uh, there were still people who had kind of that gap that their are left to fill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so I thought, you know, there's a, a lot of baseball history in the, the city of Milwaukee between the Milwaukee Braves 13 years here, um, in addition to now 50 years of Brewers baseball. And so, you know, there's almost always something on my Today and Brewer History calendar to write about. Um, and I'm writing a little less. As things are going on, I've been, you know, kind of put on hold by a couple of freelance clients right now. So I've got the time uh, and I have the energy and the passion for it. And so, you know, hopefully folks are getting an opportunity to enjoy some of that day to day. I've tried to produce a, a variety of cool stuff, whether it's recent history, looking back at the last couple of years, stuff from the Milwaukee Braves era, everything in between. So it's something new every day. Uh, it gives me an opportunity to, to kind of stay sharp and focused, and hopefully people are finding it enjoyable.
1: Yeah, hope so, for sure. Again, people can uh, find your Patreon. You can find the link to it uh, on your Twitter page. Kyle, really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this.
0: Thank you. Have a good day.
1: Kyle Loebner joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. And that's just about going to do it for uh, this week's podcast It's going to be an interesting few days. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we might already have an idea if players and owners are really going to be able to come together on a potential agreement on Sunday. It seemed like there was some momentum towards that happening. But again, that momentum has existed previously a number of times, and there always seems to be something that gets in the way. Most notably, the players, I don't think, trust the owners, and there's a fight going on, and neither side wants to lose the fight And sometimes I think that has uh, overshadowed some of the other things going on. But again, with what's happened over the last less than a week when it comes to so many players across Major League Baseball testing positive for the coronavirus, uh, maybe that changes things. Maybe that changes the spirit and the tone of the conversations. All we can do is wait and find out. I will talk to you again next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.